basically started with Ezoisan, this new project of service departments. And we went from 250 rooms when I started to 1,200 rooms. Today I'm pleased to have a young woman here by the name of Ruth. And she has been in Japan, I don't know how long, but we're gonna find out how long she's been here. But I did find out that she has a company that basically brings together people that are coming to Japan and the people that are already here in Japan and help them mesh together to find out what the different products are, mm -hmm. the different activities, different places they can go to. So what we're gonna do from this point on is talk with Ruth. Yay. Nice to meet Thank you. Thank you, Liz. I don't think I need to say anything more. <laughs> <laughs> you just explained it so well. Thank you. <laughs> That's something I'm trying to get better at doing. Something I've never prided myself on doing is really introducing people. Yeah. Because I've usually been the one introduced. Right, exactly. Makes it really a hard thing to do. It's not so easy to do all the no, time. No, it's not easy. And I think that's the way you can really support people that's is right. by being able to express their value right. proposal to others. That's it's why it's a admire wonderful that. thing. I admire that now when I have people I had one person introduced me one time and I almost didn't have to go up there because he made me sound so good. I I was starting to believe everything he was saying. <laughs> It was so nice. Yeah. So tell me, Ruth, where were you born? Um, I was born in North Carolina, in the USA. Where in yeah. North Carolina? In Durham. In Durham. How far is that from Salem? Oh, okay. So I was only there until I was one. Okay, my well, dad okay, went well let's to go Duke. on. So my dad went to Duke University. All right. uh, he's a pastor. Okay. And so after that, well, my grandfather was a congressman from the great state of Oklahoma. And he served in Washington, D.C. for 27 years. Father. My father's dad. Okay. And so my father's dad, my grandfather, wanted my dad, as the eldest son, to also get into politics. And my dad didn't want to. He wanted to be a preacher. He said, I want to talk from the highest Exactly, point. exactly. I want to spread the word. <laughs> so Not me, your word. When you, when you were, so when you were small, you went from North Carolina to where? Yeah, so when I was one, then he went to seminary because as you know, to be a pastor, you have to go to seminary. So he went to seminary in uh, Pasadena, California. So I was there until I was three. All right. Yeah, I don't that. remember much of it. You don't remember it. that? Uh, that's where my sister was born. Okay. And then we all moved to Hawaii. Hawaii. So I consider myself from Hawaii. You, all of your adolescent and Everything. young adult was until, in Hawaii? Yes, so I grew the up main in island? Hawaii. Uh, Oahu, yes. Oahu. Yes, so I went to Mililani High School. And then after that, I went to university in Boston, uh, but in the middle, just to give you an idea of my experience, uh, when I was 12, my dad decided he wants to take like a sabbatical. So he took a one-year uh, sabbatical from the church and went to Scotland. So I followed him to Scotland, and I went to primary school in Scotland for one year from Hawaii. So when I went to Scotland at 12 years old and I went to the regular primary school, I didn't think they were speaking English. I was like, Mom, they're not speaking English here. <laughs> and she's like, they are speaking English. Listen very closely. They are speaking English. And I realized I have an accent. They have an accent. You know, That's and, when you realize people had accents. And that just opened my, my whole mind to the world. The world is so big. And I think that's what started my journey that ended up getting me to Japan. Well, explain this. When you went with, to Scotland with your father, was it just you and him? No, it was a whole family. Oh, so the whole family. So it wasn't time, just him. Because you, you made it sound like your dad went over there and you yeah, decided to go no, with him. Yeah, no, we all went. And by that time, uh, my brother had been adopted from Korea. So I had a he's Korean your, Is he brother. younger than you and your sister? Is he younger so than... He's younger. He was three. Okay. So it was me, my sister, my little brother, 
and my mother and father and we went to Scotland and got to try all the different kinds of foods and experience that really cold weather and it was just so beautiful and I loved it so much. And was it just one year? Yeah, just one year. Okay. And then I went back to Hawaii and after that went to intermediate school, high school and then went to Boston for college and then came here. What kind of child were you in elementary school? Were you more academic or were you more sports minded? Hmm. I would say probably more academic, but I really did like sports. So I've always done, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you consider it a sport, but I've been a cheerleader <laughs> for you know high school, college. And then when I came to Japan, I was in like the, the company league cheerleader. So I've cheerled in um, Tokyo Dome and stuff. It's really fun. Anyway, so that's part of my history. But yes, yeah, so I've always been very active and into okay. sports, but I would say, I guess more academic, at least that's what the teachers told me I was good at. Right. So I kind of focused on uh, reading and writing, and that's what I like. Okay, what yeah. kind of reading did you like to do? Um, well, I was actually reading The New Republic when I was 12. Can you believe what? that? I don't know why. What made you do yeah, I was going to say, what made you do that? Yeah, so my dad would get all these magazines, because he, he also loved to study and, you know, keep up with world events and things. Mm -hmm. So there was Time Magazine, New Republic, all that kind of, those books, and then my dad would read SJR Tolkien, so he would do all the voices and read us stories. So we went, we went through all the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit with my dad reading it to us, doing the Gandalf voice and all that. So I was really into reading from the beginning. And I guess from the very early times, I was really interested in world issues and in different trains of thought. Kind of got me in trouble when I went to university because I was reading that when I was little. And that was never in our conversation. So I, I would read words and I didn't know how to pronounce them in English. Okay. So literally in college, I told my friend, oh, this restaurant has horse divorce. We got to go there. Because <laughs> I'd never heard it spoken. And like Chopin, I right. had never heard that Chopin. spoken before, so I was calling it Chopin, you know? Chopin, right, but it's because course. I had been reading these things. Yes. And I, yeah, I was an avid reader. I would come home from school, put my earphones on, listen to music, and read. What yeah. did your mother do? My mother, most of the time when I was small, she was actually getting her um, higher degrees, so she would get a master's de degree. She was a nutritionist for a while. Okay. She's very, she was really early on involved in the AIDS issue. So um, she was an educator for HIV and AIDS like really early on. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what got me into being on the, um, what is it called, the secretariat for the International Conference HIV and AIDS in Yokohama that okay. they had like in 19, I don't know, 95 or something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So I worked on that for about a year. But yeah, she, you know, as a minister's wife too, right. very um, thoughtful about the community and how she can help, you know, people that need help. So, yeah. so how are mom and dad doing right now? They're doing really well. So, you know, in the middle we had a little excitement where uh, there was a huge scandal and my dad accidentally had like a sort of big affair kind of thing and got kicked out of the church and then got reinstated. And you so want to say all this? It's okay? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I don't think he would mind. Okay. And so everything's good now. That's probably why he wouldn't mind. So everything has been forgiven. We get together as a very, you know, kind of how do you even describe it? Like a, a mixed up kind of family. Are they still in Hawaii? They're still in Hawaii. So my mother is still in Hawaii. My dad is still in Hawaii. Wait, you saying they're separate? They're not together? They're separate. So he's remarried um, to the lady that he met, and um, which is fine because okay. it's all I good understand. now. Okay. And they have three sons, and I consider them my brothers. And we all get together for reunions. And my mother's there. My dad's there. You know, his how wife is there. How old were you when they separated? 
That was when I was in high, uh, first year in college. Yeah. How'd you take it? It was really hard because it was no totally unexpected. No Absolutely no clue. No one had any clue. Your mom didn't know. Your sister no. didn't know. No, no, he no. didn't confide in anyone. No. Maybe he did confide in his best friends. But, but I know, mean, no one, no one no. that he was... No, no, we didn't. That was know. interesting, okay. It was interesting, and now that I'm an adult, I can totally understand how it happens, why mm. it happens. It actually happened to me, too, my, in my personal life. Were so you I'm married? not married. Yeah, so I was married. How long were you married? To a Japanese guy, 20 years. And, um, do you have children? I do. I have two how kids. How old are your kids? Um, my son is going to be 29. How does that even happen? Is, it, what, is, he, is he here? No, he, he's based in Copenhagen. He works at Bain and Company, a big consulting firm. I know firm. Bain and Company. Yes. Yeah, so um, he works out of Copenhagen. So, so he's I'm in assuming, Denmark. I'm assuming, by the way, you said your son. You have a daughter as well. I do. I have a daughter. She's in Japan at the moment, okay. but she travels around. She she does social media. So she's basically in charge of the social media strategy at my company, Jarman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. One. Very exciting life. Okay. So you were married for 20 years, and then yeah. you s you just separated. Yes. You just decided to separate. It, it was not, I, I didn't want to, but yes, it happened. Okay. But, you know, I mean, I feel like, I, you know, just to give uh, uh, one comment about my family and also about my life, is that, you know, I feel like when you blame and then when you also are angry about something, the one who hurts is you, right? That's for so sure. that's been the best thing that I've learned through all of this is that forgiveness and love, it really can, like, you know how people say love wins, right? Aiwakatsu, right? So I really believe that that's true. So if you take things and, you know, you go through these really painful moments, but it really, like, helps you grow. And the fact that my family can get together, we're getting together next month, too, in Hawaii, um, that we can all get together, everybody in the same room, and laugh and eat. No, no, explain to me. When you say get together, your father and his wife? And his and kids. And my mother and his, and kids, his and kids and my that's, that's siblings. Beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah, so that's why I can talk about, you know, it was a difficult time. Everybody knows about it. It was a huge scandal, but, I mean, we got through it, and we became better people for it. Is he still part of the church? Yes. So okay. he, he actually, he's not as active. He's more retired, but he does, uh, a, I guess it's, I guess you would describe it as charity work. It's called Common Grace in okay. Hawaii. Right. And he, the idea, the concept is so good. Right. Basically, he started out, so when he went back to Hawaii with his family, so they were living in Oita in um, Kyushu for a very long time. And then his kids started to get older. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Now, now explain again. Your father? Yeah. So my dad's wife is from Oita. Oita, okay, right, yeah. good, okay. So they were living in Oita Who's when they're, they? my dad and his wife, and when they had their three kids. They were living in Oita, okay, my dad. Okay. Yeah. So and he left Hawaii. Left Hawaii. Went he to left Japan. Hawaii. Went to Japan and was living there a while. And then when his kids started to get into the elementary school age, it starts to get difficult with the whole juken and what are you going to do? Are you going to send them to international school? Are you going to keep them in Japanese school? I mean, I went through the same thing. And he sort of decided that in the Oita area, there weren't re really any options for international schooling, right? So he decided, okay, this is a time to go back to Hawaii. So let's go. We had a house there went back to Hawaii, and when he went back to Hawaii, the first thing he started to do, because he was getting a little bit older, and his kids were in um, elementary school, the same elementary school I went to, Pearl Ridge Elementary School, he decided to volunteer and go read stories to the kids, like he, so did, he did with me. You, right. Yes! So he would go, he became Uncle Jay, and he would go, I think, every week and read stories to them. And what he started to notice is that at the back of the group, there are little kids that are getting left behind. 
maybe they come from broken families, they're not really paying attention. And he started to think, you know, and then Columbine happened. You know, oh, the, the, first time, the first time, yes. And he was like, okay, how do we embrace these children from very early on and let them know that they're seen and let them know that they're loved? And that's when he started Common Grace. And basically what now, they Common do... Common Grace is what? It's his um, NGO that he has okay. in Hawaii. So what he does is he speaks with the teachers and the principals of the schools, and they try to figure out who are the elementary kids that are kind of getting left behind that, you know, if left alone like this could start getting into trouble, you know? Who, and he always talked about like, people who are sitting in the back pews of the church, like those are the most important people that you really need to engage with. So kind of the same idea, right? And so then he would match these little kids with high schoolers who would, basically the, the thing is they go and meet them every week, same day, same time. And they play with them, help them with their homework, talk to them, they're their friend. So what they're trying to tell those little kids is there's at least one person in your life who is gonna show up at the same time every week. You can depend upon them. And so these little kids, he's been doing it so long, they've grown up and now they're the mentors for oh, the little so kids beautiful. in the elementary. So he, you know, it's a very small activity, but I think they work with over 100 schools now. And they've worked with all these different little kids and it's just, it's an impact that's being made in a very small corner of the United States or of the world, but it's meaningful. Now what is it called, Common? Common Grace. Common Grace, that is beautiful. You know, so one of those little kids could be the next Obama. You never, you you never, never know. Because Obama know. grew up in Hawaii. He sure did. You know, and he might have been one of those left behind that's kids. That's right. No, so, he, he wasn't left behind. Well, but no, you know, in <laughs> his situation, you. like, right. I, I also feel that way because in Hawaii, you know, it's such a melting pot. The, um, most of the local schools, like a Howley kid like me, a white kid like me is, a, is an extreme minority, and we get um, teased and stuff. Nothing compared with anything that goes on in the mainland. Of course, of course. But, um, you know, it, it is a place where certain kids can get a little bit left behind, so I'm so proud of my dad for doing that. That's so nice. Helping that so many so kids. Nice. Yeah. So tell me, now you get into high school, and you start honing the subjects you're really interested in. Yes. What were they? Um, so when I got into high school, unfortunately at that time, um, teachers would really encourage, uh, especially girls that are good at reading and writing, to stick with that. And they would say, you don't have to do math, you know. Just stick with what you're good at, the reading and writing. Because girls are good at reading and writing, boys are good at math, you know. And I really wish, because they didn't even make me take, I've never taken trigonometry. <laughs> I, I didn't go past algebra, like high-level algebra. I really wish I had. Like, mm -hmm. I would like to study math now. But anyway, so I really focused on reading and writing. Turns out I was a very good speaker, so I was in speech contests. I got into tennis, and then I found cheerleading. And I just loved cheerleading. What so about it did cheerleading you love? What dance. about it did you love? Well, based, you know, I'm also <laughs> like my dad, you know, performer get out there, get to wear a cute outfit, dance. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with cheerleading. That's, like, the best thing. And then cheerleading, everybody sees you, so you get to be friends with everybody. And that leads to being homecoming queen and things like that. So, Which yeah, you were? I was. I was okay. homecoming queen twice <laughs> in high school and college. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's rare. I don't think there's many people who can say that. You didn't do gymnastics? No. So the cheerleading at the time was mostly dance. Okay. 
So we would go to cheerleading they didn't, they didn't camps. Do the throwing and stuff like no, that so no, much, we yes. the when they were doing the where you like lob Throw somebody the in the air and the catch them like that. Yes, that what, I forget what that's called, like a basket, a basket, basket throw or basket something. Throw, right? right, basket throw. That was just starting okay. when I graduated college. That so, would be the most. That was a big thing to see someone do that. Exactly, it was a really big thing, and like yeah. flip in there. Right, and if they flipped, oh wow. Yeah. We were much more like the dancing type, right, yeah, right. which I really, really liked. So and the rhyming and the yeah, and I get to like choreograph things and when I came to Japan so I joined this big company called Recruit who and doesn't know Recruit yeah, they had some problems but still they did so Ezoi-san right. who was the center of the problem uh, became my mentor I understand that in Japan you know they say that derukui ga tatakareru right like mm -hmm. tatakareru mm. and so the the, the uh, nail that sticks, sticks out gets is going hardest. to be hammered down and I think Ezoi-san was a perfect example of that where um, his company was growing so fast and he was doing so well. And he was a guy who kind of bucked the system. Like he went to Todai, Tokyo University. And when he graduated, he was already like, had his own little sales action going on. So he didn't join a big company like all of his friends. And he was already making 30 times what anybody else was making at the time. So I feel like um, he kind of bucked the system the whole way. And it kind of came out and got him at the end. But um, he was a really strong person. And he was a genius manager. And he just read Peter Drucker, like there's no tomorrow kind of thing. So I was lucky enough to work directly with him for about 12 years mm -hmm. in real estate later on. And then he kind of took me under his wing when, he, when I joined the company. He wasn't there because he got arrested a month before I joined the company. So um, I was there and he was kind of present, but he wasn't in the company at that time. And I was in recruit for four years and they had an American football team. And I'm like, well, I did cheerleading in America. And they're like, could you start one here? You know, because they didn't have cheerleaders yet. I'm no, like, wait, no, wait, wait. No, we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yes, because right. you were in the, No, I'm just saying, you were in, in high school, the subject you for, you were a cheerleader, and you right. liked that. Mm -hmm. But then you went to college. Yes. Where? At Tufts University in Boston. And why, I studied Why did you go to Tufts? Um, well, there was it, one really clear reason is because I applied. I, I was coming from public Mililani High School in Hawaii, and in that high school, I was like top class, president of the student body, best grades. Like they were like, you'll get in anywhere, you know, my counselor. <laughs> so I, I applied to Brown, Duke, and Tufts. Those are the only, only three. The only three. Yeah, the only three that I applied to because did I'm like, all, I'll get all, in anywhere. Did they all accept you? No. Only so Tufts. the only one except me was Tufts, which was actually a blessing in disguise. My dad had gone to Duke, so I was legacy. So we're like, maybe I might get into Duke. Right. Didn't. But I got into Tufts. They, they're very international. They look for people from all different backgrounds. And um, yeah, so I, I went to Tufts and I studied international relations, which is again sort of the reading and writing side. And I really thought, man, I would love to be a diplomat. And my dad, my grandfather had been in politics, so I was thinking, man, you know, I'd really like to be, uh, I would like to be a diplomat, not, not a politician in the U.S., I would like to be a diplomat. Yeah. But then, you know, things happened, and I started, I joined Recruit, and I started Wait, to realize... In the U.S. you joined Recruit? Yeah, so I had studied um, Japanese, come to Japan to study Japanese in Nagoya at Nanzan University. Yeah, well, during college. So your I first a, year, second year? Uh, third year. So third I took year. a year off. I mean, not a year off. I, I did a one-year study abroad. But what was the interest in Japan? And you'd never been here. Yeah, so that's another very clear reason. Uh, because at uh, Tufts, you have to be 
pretty good at a second language in order to graduate with an international relations degree. Okay. They're really strict. I mean, it's a really good program they have there. So I tried German first. <laughs> and I was like, okay, German, close to English. It was so hard. I couldn't get German. And then I'm like, wait a minute. And that's when my parents uh, split, and it was like really shocking that's for right, me. That's right, too. It was your like first, right year, that first time. year, second year? So, yeah, I almost like left college to go take care of my mom and stuff. But so my grades went down. The counselor called me in. Are you okay? And I said, this is happening. And they let me, you know, drop my German class. Yeah, that was the more stressful one. And then I was like, wait a minute. I grew up in Hawaii. When I was little, I was watching Jinzo Ningen Kikaida, you know, with no subtitles. Like, we would watch it in Japanese. And there's all these Japanese tourists in Hawaii, so when you go to Waikiki, there's Ona on the door, Otoko on the door. And like, I'm like, maybe I could get Japanese. So I went to my first Japanese class, and the Japanese teacher was telling everybody, okay, repeat after me. And all my mainland friends were like, ra ray ru ray I was the only one who could say it, do de do And she's like, you're pretty good. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> if I'm good, at, I'm going to try this, tra Japanese. So I started Japanese, and I got it like that because my ears must have gotten used to it when I was little. And then I went to Nagoya to study for a year, and they had to start a new class for all of us that had gone to Japan. Jap Japanese was kind of the up-and-coming language at that time. And... Um, yeah, that's how I started Japanese. What years are we talking about right now? Is this the 80s? That would be uh, 1987, I was thinking so. 86. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think about it, yeah. And that was You're during right. the bubble economy. That's right, so just it's before like, it burst, yes. It's like, whoa, if you can get a job in Japan, you're so lucky. So I was in the university uh, cafeteria after coming back from Japan, reading the Tufts University Daily. What was it like for you? Let's get into what it was like for you when you came the first time. Yeah. How many students came with you? There were about nine of us all together from Tufts, and I purposely chose Nagoya because I thought it'd be farther away from any English. Like I thought it might had get much better practice. And I was also an aerobics instructor in university and everything, so I taught aerobics in Japan. And um, I actually felt more comfortable in Japan than I had in Boston. Why? Why? Coming from a Hawaii background. When you're in Hawaii, if you've ever been, you see I mean, everybody's all, all mixed and so many people look Japanese and whatever. So when I came to Japan, I felt I had more in common with Japan than I did with people in uh, the East Coast of the United States. So I felt very comfortable here. You know what, I, I'm just, I'm just going to guess what did that for you psychologically. You grew up all the time being a minority. Exactly. The only one. So then you learned to get comfortable with that and started feeling yeah. good. Then you go to Boston, you see a whole bunch of you. And you say, wait, I don't like this so much. <laughs> like, I don't know I, if I'm you're allowed been, to you're say been it. Well, you I mean, you might have to cut this out, but it was really weird because, and when I tell my Japanese friends, they're like, me too. Like, when I went to the East Coast, I, at first, I really couldn't tell the difference between Bill, Bob, George, and Fred. Like, everybody the, looked the alike to me. Yes. And, you know, some people from the mainland will say that happens to them in Japan. But I'm like, no, you know, not me. So it's where you grew up. You and know, what it's you what you're to used to. And what you to start paying attention yeah. to. Yeah, yes, exactly. And what, what you, where you got your fondness from, your love, your associations. Yeah, that's and the food. Is, that's and, right. And just the manner. The mannerism, right. Yeah, so in Japan, you have this thing where you don't really speak so directly. And we also have that in Hawaii, where you kind of like beat around the bush, you don't really say, you know, hmm. why are you saying it that way? That's wrong. you like, you wouldn't say that. Yes. Whereas in Boston, you know, if I 
in we in Hawaii we have a habit, kind of like Japanese, where you say nantuka nantuka ne. We in Hawaii we say oh yeah we say yeah a lot. Like you want to go to the beach yeah? We we'll say that. And so my friends in Boston would be like yeah 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 you know like teasing me like really direct teasing which I wasn't used to. And so and you're feeling bad because you're being serious. You're not trying to be mean. Yeah, Why and in Japan when you do that, people would be like kawaii. <laughs> Like, that's so cute. And so it, it was a sort of a different approach. Like, Japanese people, I mean, I've learned more over these 35 years, but、um, in Japan, it's basically you're really considering the other person's feeling before you say anything. And I think that that's very similar in Hawaii. So that made me feel really comfortable. Oh, that's beautiful.、Yeah. So then you go back to the States.、Mm-hmm. Open the newspaper. So I'm in the.、Uh, But you have a year, you have、University. two years left? Yeah, I have one year left. One year so left. So I, my junior year, I was in Japan.、Uh, no, I was here just for a semester and a summer. So、okay. second semester and summer, and that's when I got my first Japanese boyfriend, and he was a surfer, really cool guy. He didn't become your, he didn't become your husband. No, no, okay, no. I, I, But I realized, oh, I like Japanese guys too. <laughs> Because I mean that makes sense. Because I grew up in Hawaii, so anybody who's a surfer, who, you know, who looks kind of like local, yeah, okay. So anyway,、uh, then I went back to、uh, Boston, opened the newspaper, the Tufts Daily English newspaper. Everything's written in English except on the right-hand bottom side, in very bold-faced hiragana. It says, "If you can read this, please come to an explanatory session." And I was like, "I can read that." And it said Kabushiki Gaisha Rikuruto, recruit in Hiragana. And so I was like, I can read that. So I went to the session. The girl, I'm gonna say girl, because she was like 24 years old, just a little bit older than me, didn't speak English. From recruit to try to, you know, recruit people in the U.S. And I was like, oh my gosh, that totally changed the impression I had of Japanese companies. If they're gonna send a young lady who doesn't speak the language. Overseas to find people to work at the company, I'm like that's really breaking some barriers. I would like to work at that company, so I ended up getting an offer, and that's how I got to Japan. Okay, wow, what year was that? That was 1987. That was 1988. 88. Yes. Okay. They didn't even have the visas for us yet, so most of the people hired at that time were sort of like mid-career professionals or like senseis, you know, professors. So they rarely hired new grads from the U.S. Or from any other country,、right. the new grads were in Japan, right? That you hire your new grads in Japan. So、um, it took a while to get a visa. For we had ten of us that came. But you are you already you had already graduated. I had graduated, so graduated. I waited in Hawaii for about half a year for the visa to get through, and then I came. And then the first thing I, I was in the general affairs department, and、um, my kacho came over to me, my manager, and they nobody really spoke English, but he tried to speak.、Uh, English-style Japanese to me, Lucy. Totemo daiji na hanashigari mas. Like really slow Japanese, you know, trying to make it sound like English so I could understand. Because I had learned daily Japanese, but not business Japanese. So it was really hard for me to keep up at the beginning. But he said, you know, a really important thing I have to tell you is, unfortunately, our president got arrested last month. So we have no time to like really teach you anything. So just sit over there and consider this a learning experience. And I'm like, okay. So I did that, and I just did what I could, and I, I instead of sinking, I swam, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And the recruit people are so energetic, really loud voices. They all are very brave and bold. The women are strong, the men are strong, and I was like, I found my place. How long were you with? How long were you with? Oh, four years. Four years. What did you do after that?
After that, I, I decided I wanted the HIV AIDS uh, big event I was involved in. I also got into uh, TV a little bit. I just decided I kind of wanted to do, because I was married by that point. And I how, how long, wait, how long after being with recu Recruit did you get married? So I met my husband in Recruit. So he was also Recruit. And I uh, ended up getting married. And then I was like, you know, I kind of want to do something a little bit more socially minded, I thought. So that's when I did the HIV AIDS thing. And then I also, um, somebody told me that it's fun to be an extra in like Japanese movies and things. And it's a little bit extra income. So I started doing that. And at that time, there were very few Western females who spoke some Japanese. So I started getting all these jobs, you know. I Like, I'm a reporter on this sh a movie called Gamuratsu. Like, people still see it. So, yeah, I did that. And then I thought, you know, when you're sort of like, uh, I don't know, like a gay no gene or something, right. and you're in an agency, I felt like, you know, I'd rather be on TV when I'm an expert in something. I don't want to be someone who just does anything. Like, I, I really want to learn something. I want to be an expert on something. And at the same time, I had started my first translation and interpreting company, just myself working from home. So no, kid, no kids yet? No kids yet. Okay. And then I started having my kids. So my first child was born in 1994. Okay. And then 1998. So while my kids were small, I was doing interpreting and translation from home and then getting babysitters to go do it. So like I got to interpret for Jesse Jackson. I got to interpret for Joe Montana. I got to interpret for Monica Seles. You know, I got to interpret for Serena Williams when she won. So I was the official press interpreter for the Toyota Princess Cup for five years. And so all the big tennis players, the women tennis players would come. And, you know, when she won, I got to say, okay, so uh, you can tell everybody, uh, she was practicing many times. So, you know, I got to meet all these really interesting people. The uh, director for Michael Jackson's tour when he came over, I got to interpret for him. Not the last time? Uh, no, it was kind the of... First time, the first time he came. It, I, I, it wasn't was off the wall. It was the thriller. It was a thriller tour after thriller. Was it when he was at Tokyo Dome? No, that was when... It that was the first time he came. Yeah, it Tokyo wasn't Dome. Tokyo Dome. I interpreted when he was in Fukuoka. Okay, Fukuoka. In Kyushu, okay. yeah. Right. But um, it was, I never got to see him or meet him because he was very, you know, right. hidden. Like, no, no one ever got to see him. But I got to speak with the director, and I got to see all the drama that happens before one of those concerts. Until the very last minute, they're still negotiating, like pricing and tickets and things like that. Yeah, Sorry. it's very interesting. So I got to have that wonderful experience. And then a little bit before I planned, like I wasn't thinking about going back into the corporate world for a while, but Ezoi-san called me because we had been working. So Recruit, Ezoi-san, the guy who made Recruit, um, we had stayed in touch and I had done some interpreting work, translation work for him. And he was out of jail now. He never actually went to jail. I mean, I mean, he was house arrest or whatever it was. Yeah, so he, his, his um, uh, trial was the longest in history, so it's 13 years. And I actually stood as one of his witnesses at He's the end. He's still alive now, isn't he? No, he, he passed when away, he pass away like seven years ago. Yeah. He, how he old was he when he passed? 78, 79. Oh, it had to yeah. be stressed then. Um, actually, something. the way that he left this planet is probably the exact way he wanted to leave the planet. He oh. had just finished skiing in Morioka, okay. and he had come back on the uh, bullet train. Right. And uh, he must have been feeling a bit dizzy. And he went out and unfortunately he fell on the platform and hit his head and went into a coma and that's how he left. Gotcha. So his last thing was skiing with friends. Doing something to enjoy. Yeah, that's, that's what he liked At to 70 do. 78 or 79, wow. yeah. So anyway, he had really sort of thought that maybe 
I don't know, there was some potential in me or something. So he had really tried to mentor me. And so out of the blue, he calls and he says, you know what? I've been to Hong Kong, New York, different places. And I see these things called service departments where there's furnished apartments that people can rent from one month. And right now for business people coming to Japan, they only have two choices, either a two-year lease with no furniture or a long-term stay in a hotel. I want to start this service department. And I think there was one Oakwood at the time. And he's like, do you think that's a good idea? And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And he's like, right? And I didn't realize at the time, the whole board of directors was totally against the idea. <laughs> and I was the only one, because they had basically been real estate developers. Right. They had not been in the hospitality industry. You know better than anyone else what a big jump it is from selling apartments to actually like hospitality is totally different. Um, and he, he said, yeah, right, it's a good idea, right? Can you come help me? So that's when I started at Space Design. It, it doesn't exist anymore. It's now owned by Kennedix, which is a big real estate company, but basically started with Ezoisan, this new project of service departments. And we went from 250 rooms when I started to 1,200 rooms. And I was in charge what of sales. Time? What period of time? Uh, 12 years. 12 years. And I was in charge of, totally in charge of all the sales. I ended up sitting on the board. I got to work directly with Ezoisan and learn all about his management style. And, and that was, that was really what was became the foundation of everything that I do. Was he married and had He family? had two daughters. Okay. Um, um, estranged. Okay. Yeah. Did both of his daughters were estranged? No, estranged with his wife. Oh, with his he wife. Was, but his daughters, good. was he close with his daughters? Yeah, he was close with his daughters. His daughters are really, really smart, wonderful ladies. Oh, were they your age or were they younger? A little bit older, I think, than me. A little me. bit older, Maybe okay. about the same age, yeah. Okay, all right. And then his wife is also a fantastic, wonderful, entrepreneurial person herself. Um, I don't really know what happened, but they were they ended up splitting up, I think. But um, so I was more involved just with him okay. and learning from him. And he's yelling at me about doing something wrong. And I told you to do this. Why did you not do this? And I'm like, I can't change the contract that quick. So uh, the thing that I learned about him that I really even use now is the ability to change with the market quickly. So he wasn't changing because he wanted to change personally. He was changing policies and trying to change contracts and trying to change the direction of the company to fit with market changes. And I thought that was, it sounds really easy to do, but it's not it easy to do. Be. No. Because you can't be sure it's really going to go the direction you think it's yeah, going to go. Yeah, and he would just study and read and gather information. He would read like five newspapers every morning and um, just talk to people and when we were in taxis he would really talk to the taxi driver about you know what's going on you know what do you think and yeah I, I really learned a lot from him I'm so great but he was like my dad you know That's beautiful. Yeah, it was really good tell me this you've done all those things now where are you right now what are you doing right now at this point well so it kind of all comes together right like in the end you think ah, oh, okay that was the path you know so through the real estate we were basically serving international visitors to Japan that were here for business. So they would stay one month to three months, right? And so during those 12 years when I calculated it, directly or indirectly, I was in touch with about 40,000 different business people coming from all different countries, all different languages, with a common bond to somehow working in Japan. And through that, I got to see how difficult it is for them to go into like a soba shop or to anything. So they're like, I'd like to buy a pearl for my wife. Where can I buy a pearl in Japan? 
So there was one place that I knew about. I'd say, well, there's one on the corner in Rapongi. They're like, what's Rapongi? You know? So you realize it is so difficult for them to access all this wonderful content that exists in Japan. So we would make all these like handbooks when they move into the room. There would be all these pictures of this is the kind of soap you use for dishwashing. This is the kind of soap you use for, you know, washing your clothes. So with a photo, so that when they go shopping, you get, because how can you tell the difference if you can't read those labels? Like, how do you know the difference between uh, dishwashing soap and soap for your washing machine? Or like, you wouldn't know coming from the US that all washing machines work in cold water here in Japan, right? So like, very small details, but they're very, very big things too. Like, where is Hokkaido? You know, where, where is Kyushu? Like, I would like to go to the mountains in Japan. Where should I go? And then you say, well, you know, there's mountains nearby. Like, how do I find it? Right? So I thought there's going to be a huge requirement by everyone in Japan to be able to access these people who have money, want to spend it, want to explore, but just don't know how to get there, like to bridge that. And so that's what my company does. Ruth, what I'd like to ask at the end of a podcast is this question. If you could magically go back in time and meet the younger Ruth yes. and give her advice, what advice would you give her mm. and how old would she be? She'd be about nine. She would be about nine and I'd say, believe in yourself. You can do it. Just be yourself. You're perfectly fine as you are. Don't feel like you have to change. You know, you don't have to go to the beach every week and try to get a suntan because you cannot get a suntan. <laughs> I would go because all my friends would get so beautiful suntans because, you know, they're all like local Hawaii people, right? And I'd be putting oil on my body and trying to get suntan. I just get so red. I can't even go to school, you know? So I would be like, you know, you are good as you are. And you just keep doing what you like to do. If you like to read, read. If you like to study rocks, study rocks, you know? Do what you like to do. Learn, 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 and you are going to have a great life. That's beautiful. That's what I like Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan. So continue to reach for the stars. Because you are too blessed to be stressed.